Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 24 of the How We See Things podcast. I am Statesman X, and I'm here with my co-host, Dan Stark. Dan, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Um, it's been a, an interesting week um, in the world, generally, in the United Kingdom. We've, uh, you may or may not have heard about the budget, the catastrophic um, financial package set out by Her Majesty's... Oh, my apologies. His Majesty. Uh, <laughs> His Majesty's government um last friday which uh, sent the capital markets into disarray and um, the pound has dropped 25 cents in seven days against the dollar so if if, if you are holding dollars um now's the time yeah, the dollar, <laughs> dollar is, is the, strongest, the strongest currency um, yeah yeah in, in the world like, surprisingly apart from the ruble apparently the ruble seems to be doing well, but there's obviously a whole host of complicated. Yeah, the, the ruble is, is being you know artificially propped up by um, Russia, India, and China. Um, but like that, that's I, I was just thinking that like you know one of these days we, should, we have to have like another like the you know conversation we had about inflation, just purely like you know nerdy conversation about like things like currency and how that plays your parts into you know the world that we live in. And I think there's this like famous TED talk where like, you know, some African ladies talking about, um, you know, how dollar is what perpetuates like the dollar and the system of like um, trading worldwide perpetuates like, you know, the power structures that exist. Um, but, you know, like we're, we're, we're going to talk about what's going on in the UK, like, you know, later half of the conversation. And I guess like in the context of what's going on in, you know, around the world and in Europe specifically, but you know, we we were going to start the conversation talking about the situation in Ukraine, yeah, um, and you know, with their neighbor Russia. Uh, Ukraine is on our mind, and you know, on the mind of the world, like in general, and yeah. you know, the powers that be in Europe and in the US. So basically, Ukraine is making some territorial gains. They have been on it you know, continuous trend of making gains, taking back, like, some key territories. And the war isn't looking very good for Russia. Now, you know, that that has been the case for a while. And, you know, up until a few days ago or a few months ago, people were waiting to see what Russia's, you know, reaction would be or what their next step would be. And we've seen the Russian state and their leader, Vladimir Putin, make some moves. So first off, like they drafted, you know, thousands of young, middle-aged and old men into service with limited um, equipment and stuff like that. Um, the reaction to the draft was kind of mixed. Like, you know, people on TV in Russia, are, you know, speaking out as loudly as they can, but like, you know, on the ground and um, there were protests, people were arrested. But like also Putin gave this really political speech um a few days ago and uh, you know that's i, I kind of want to pass it you know onto you there in in the speech he talked about how you know their war is against the west mm. you know um quote-unquote satanism and he talked about how you know there are only two genders um he made it like he made it he talked about like colonialism and how like you know the west doesn't have the so-called west he said doesn't have elect stand on mm-hmm. Criticizing Russia or saying anything about Russia, um, Russia carried out like a sham, you know, election in these four regions, um, basically. So we've seen like the evolution of Russia and Putin's explanation for why they're doing what they're doing. And you know, yes. like when we when the last two times we spoke about this thing, we debated like I guess like what what the point is and what Russia's motive is. At this point, like, do you finally believe what Putin is saying about like? his objectives you know or or are we still talking about NATO here how, how are you how are you thinking about like what Putin is saying and what Russia is doing yeah I think it's it was um the the speech as you say was quite interesting mm. um I think in many ways it's if you if you listen to previous episodes of this podcast all the political issues that we talk about all the in respect of now the global north, so we're not talking, this is not to do with Nigerian politics, which we like to talk about, which is a cornerstone of the pod, but obviously we talk a lot about US and UK, European politics. That speech is probably, 
it was probably a, a snapshot into the threads that you could um, pull all the way from Vladivostok all the way to uh, Seattle. It's it's interesting to see some of the commentary and the similarity between what he was saying and what uh, a certain blonde former president of the United States used to say. You know, it's it was. I mean, except this time he has like men, you know, on the field actually like fighting. Well, like, yeah, I guess that's the difference. Like, yeah, it's, it's a and, huge yeah. and we must say, like, uh, thoughts and prayers to those in Ukraine who continue to suffer. You know, going through a war is no, is no, is no um, pleasant thing. And you know, although you know our, our respective nations provide huge support, military support and financial support, the reality is the the boots on the ground, right? The mm-hmm. the backing of NATO, the big the big bully against the the other, the sorry, the big force against the big bully is just not possible because here's a country with the most superior nuclear in terms of numbers nuclear arsenal in the world. Russia is just a fact. Not Russia has the most nuclear warheads. Um, if it was the case of everyone launch yours, um, <laughs> they they will launch the most. So I think obviously you have to think about that. You asked me about Putin's intentions, and I think we're we're here. We're talking about these four areas, and I think tactically, I remember from one of the earlier episodes of the pod, we talked about what does victory look like for Putin, right? Mm. What is his what are his ultimate military games? And remember, he was talking about capturing Kiev. He was talking about, obviously, installing a government, essentially, um, as his initial view. I think our analysis at the time was he's not going to accept total retreat. This is a man who is not going to back down all the way. He's not going to retreat back to Moscow. Um, and like you rightly said, Statesman X, we saw these very... Surprising, actually. I think the Ukrainians took them by surprise in the east and, yeah. in, and um, northern, the northern parts, kind of Kharkiv, um, trying to push him back towards the Russian border, towards that Donetsk, Luhansk. He took area. somewhere else called Liman today. Yeah. So, so there's, there's definitely there's a factor there where what Putin has done essentially is to bring the battlefront further into Ukraine. So if you, mm. if you think of the battlefront border being previously being thought of as a Russian border, yeah. what he's now saying is we this is his tactic to stop Ukrainian progress further east. And he's saying to them, these four regions have now come across to us um, as Russian um, areas and this being Donetsk, Luhansk, Kherson, and Zapisvizia. Probably not pronouncing the last one correctly. <laughs> by formally annexing them, what he's saying is, if you make further incursions... No, but by being done, they voted. No, no, what he's saying. What the, he's people, saying. The, the people there voted, there was a referendum. <laughs> I suppose I mean, they voted who, in who the 90s. Any, who, was, yeah. who, was, who was, well, were there, were there any, you know, kind of independent arbiters in that? Hmm. Um, I don't know. So we can't really corroborate the validity, but we'll take what he said at face value. Um, however, on no, on sure we are. I'm being facetious, of course, of course. About, about, about the, the of that, um, I think that speech was for home. It was for the for mm. those who are disquieted within the Kremlin. It was it was for those who might think that he didn't have a handle on the situation. Um, yeah. his, his pontifications about the West, you know. There's there's elements of those kind of claims that are being made that run along the most. The very fact that Italy has just appointed a nationalist party um, on the far right. Look at the wave post Brexit in the UK. Look at the how right leaning the Conservative government is in the UK, for example. Look at Sweden. So look at Orbán in Hungary, who continues to go from strength to strength. So whilst you might as a centrist, as someone who has perhaps a modicum of uh, decency, decide that some of what he was saying is, you know, kind of Soviet rhetoric, 30, 40 years old. You have to acknowledge that the fact that um, significant nations in the European area seem to be leaning towards a nationalist, ethno, ethnic... You have to consider that Putin does have some people who 
will listen to some of the ideas anyway. That no, no, no. So, so, so I, I think it's important to note, like, just, just to kind of piggyback off what you're saying, um, in terms of like, you know, who Putin's audience is. I would say like there's more than just it was more than just a home audience. Um, and you know, the speech was was many people have described it as quote unquote like jingoistic. Like it was it was it was a heavy speech, it was thick with like you know, vitriol and you know, I guess like that's what the time um requires. Like he he referred to you know um, quote-unquote western elites as like evil like i mentioned earlier he talked about you know he leaned into cultural war issues he talked about colonialism he talked about like you know the west's hypocrisy um he talked about racism in the west he talked about like you know the west supporting um apartheid he talked about the fact that it is the west that set the precedent the u.s has set the precedent for using you know nuclear or special grade um, bombs in you know World War Two, basically, and like if, if there's a precedent for doing such a thing, it's the U.S. that you know has set such a precedent. So like the, his audience, in many regards, as you as you're getting to, is the rest of the world, because the reaction to to this war in Ukraine, many African countries are facing food shortages as a result of like lack of supply, um, um, because like you know I think a significant portion of the world's like wheat. And some of that key foods come from Ukraine. Yeah, so Ukraine. That's, Ukraine is the, that's a pressure is point. The grain, that, is the grain basket of the kind of the world, especially the global south. Yeah, that, that, that's a pressure point that Putin is leveraging. You understand know, in in his interactions with the world, China and India are abstaining from key votes in the UN, are lending, you know, um, um, Russia support by you know still purchasing you know goods from Russia and you know giving them their and not voting on or things when 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 they come up for. Um, for votes, Putin is also talking to, you know, like um, so he's talking to people, people at home. He's talking to the West, that, that's like the US and the UK, and people actually like backing um, Ukraine because because the the challenge basically for the West for Ukraine for everybody really is that like it's a cult of personality essentially in in, in Russia and. Putin is in a very dangerous place. So we are in a very dangerous place because Putin probably believes, you know, the shit that he's saying, his like the hype. It's different for people on ground. Um, so the New York Times published like these um, interceptions between like Russian soldiers and their family members. And they're talking about how like they had no training and how like, you know, Putin is, is lying to everybody and how everything is like a fucking lie. And, you know, it's it's a it's a war of information basically because you know you ask me how something that you know the Ukrainian army supposedly captured ended up on the pages of the New York Times but like it's it's a battle of information between um, yeah the war the war has been fought on multiple fronts and I think on on information I think it's a critical moment actually because you have to look at this as a man with limited options in Vladimir Putin who to me seems to have jettisoned um, diplomacy at this point. And you can imagine that on the Russian side, on the stems of cyber warfare, it's a big time for media, for fact checkers, big tech companies to to really try and counter that Russian disinformation. Because, you know, even the reporting on the referendum, um, as though there was some kind of legitimate other option, um, needs to be carefully worded because otherwise you legitimize that narrative of Russia essentially has re-established this border and if Ukraine incurs, that's yeah. an invasion. It's when in reality, that's sovereign Ukrainian land and has been for the best part of the century now. So, you know, you look at it and you're, you have to kind of look at the cyber side of things in terms of the information. And, and obviously we know how social media works and the manipulation there. Um, and also, I think another factor that we need to look at. You mentioned the global south, and I think that's that's quite an interesting point you make. And I noticed that there was a UN resolution which was introduced, um, in fact, of the specifically about the referendums. And mm-hmm. the framing, interestingly enough, seems to be around the principle of territorial integrity, right? Which I think more countries in the global south will perhaps, apart from the Baltics, will have a resonance with, right? Because these are all largely colonized, you know, we're talking about the Latin Americas, Africa, 
primarily, yeah. and perhaps um, East Asia, um, not Southeast Asia, not the subcontinent, but I'm thinking places like Indonesia, um, the Pacific, and places like that that were colonized. So I think that you almost have to create a sense where Russia feels like the, the public opinion, because I think India and China have a key, 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 key role to play. Um, like you rightly say, they've kind of been tacitly supporting, um, trying to be uh, playing both sides, <laughs> should we say. No, no, they're, they're, they're trying to cover out their own, their own path now. Like in, yeah, in, this is an opportunity for them to kind of seize some power on, on, on the superpower stage in terms of the big five or whatever they're called. No, no, I, I think it, it's important to note, like, that's the context in which you know, this is happening, that for a for a generation, the US was a dominant power, like an outsized force in global politics and Jonathan and in global culture, like in general. Mm-hmm. Um, due to you know the general like empire decline, however you want to describe it, the US ceded some ground in the world, mistakes were made, you know, e.g. Afghanistan significant like mistakes that basically like you know set the course for geopolitics for another generation um and you know the ground is shifting basically and it's into like this sort of vacuum that has been breeding for a long time so like you know china has been making significant um where i guess like the us and the uk used to be china is going in some kind of like neo colonialism like is going on some kind of like neo colonialism project through africa Mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. the soft power being you know um the soft power being influenced like in, in that way there's people are kind of like generally against um um hard battles now like you know um war on the ground which is i guess what made this russia thing um so surprising i i, I think like like i was saying before the problem basically is that putin has backed himself into a corner yeah and you know he's making he's making a couple of of or, or he's he's working i think with a couple of assumptions one is that like domestic politics in the west cannot sustain a long-term you know war. yeah i mean yeah. look at look at, look at energy right look at energy, energy, energy yeah price. in the uk for example i'm now paying today for electricity and gas four times what i paid um this time last year um as a totality so um if you think that both have doubled or you know kind of two times two and a half or whatever is the bill annually um and the government has had to step in to to put in place um a cap on that but even then there are many families who are going to suffer from what we call fuel poverty so they will have to decide whether they want to feed their kids uh, or whether they want to pay pay their bills in its totality, and that that, that that's a, you know I mean we're talking about degrees here, right? The the single mother, the widow who's raising three kids in Lagos in in um, in Agigi on that bridge might might decide that you know she's had to juggle these things for years, but um, the reality of those of 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 a, of a UK resident who has to make those decisions now, whilst paying a mortgage. Whilst paying for childcare, paying whilst, all the bills you know, that you have. Now I was going to say like, the, yeah, it, it's it's probably going to get worse, I guess, for people in Europe because a pipeline was sabotaged. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Who, 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 who sabotaged a massive, a massive underwater installation? A million. Um, Mm-hmm. million 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 dollar business situation that we have um right now lots of people are impacted million dollar question um you know also so like basically like a, a pipeline a key pipeline you know for energy um in europe was um, destroyed you know kind of like what what goes on in the niger delta by um, pirates but this time there's now like you're getting that specific formation. So, you know, if you ask, if you ask right-wing Americans who are being played on Russian TV in support of the Russian cause, it's possible that Joe Biden and the U.S. is behind the sabotage of energy 
um, prices in the U- in the UK and in Europe. That is going to cost because there are people in the UK that are going to believe it. How? It's going to cost, like, there are people in the US that believe it. You know, like, I mean, the, the, the theory is that like, you know, um, the West is so bloodthirsty for war. These people are so, you know, um, they're so cynical, evil, global elites that have that force you to do COVID, mark of the beast. Everything, this is just part of their Right, right, right. So, okay. so you know, they, so nothing, they nothing, actually, nothing that's actually logical or makes sense. No, logic. no, no. It's, yeah. it's, it's perfectly logical to them. That That's, that's what we have to That's what we have to believe. Well, if, if you subscribe to that worldview, and I'm sure, you know, people that are listening, or some of us know people who... Not, not everyone has to be intelligent, things. I guess. So, you know, not, 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 the, the, the fact that we're evolved doesn't mean that everyone evolved at the same rate. I, I, I wouldn't... I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't... Refer to I would. I would. Yeah, because, I would. because the theory, as outlandish as it sounds to us, it's a theory of the world. Do you understand? There, there are some aspects that are far out, but it's a theory of the world, and it's coherent, you know, however... The the Joe Biden bit, no, no, no. However, I've heard the, you know, I've heard elements of this theory. You know, anyone that engages with people, yeah. Tucker Carlson, has the biggest platform exactly. America, the the Joe Biden, the Joe Biden causing that. That to me, that's just absolute rubbish. And and it's also what the Russians are saying. Yeah, and I mean the Russians, of course, would say that because look, when another thing after this speech, when Putin made this speech, and I think. He really needs to not... The thing is, obviously, you have elements of the state, you have the elements of force that you can use to to force people to your will. But when you announce a forced mobilization or partial mobilization and people are firebombing uh, enlistment centers, that doesn't strike me as those who are happy to go to war for that. You know, I think that obviously we understand how suppression works. You know, we we're in an environment. Um, again, you know, we'll never we'll never forget what happened at the toll gates. So whilst Nigerian Independence Day was happening, you had all these soldiers in riot gear walking down, yeah. trying to suppress um, free speech, trying to suppress free protest, freedom of protest, and um, in a similar way. So we see how the military is being used around the world. We know how armed forces used. So just because Russians might not necessarily have a voice to say to the world, oh, we don't agree. Their actions tell me, you know, when you're firebombing enlistment centers, when you're protesting, they're arresting so many Russians now on the streets. They're clearly not happy. There's a proportion anyway that's not happy with what's going on. But unfortunately, we know how state-sponsored power works. We know Mm. the situation. So I think for them, unfortunately, they're kind of tied to Putin until such a time that Putin disengages from Russia, um, whenever that may be. So, so um, the, the, the challenge, challenge Putin has is that, like, domestically, like, it's it's obvious that like people are starting to you know question what is going on. You're you're seeing all these like clips of people on Russian state TV. So like instead of because because it's a cult, they cannot directly talk about Putin. So they are calling for the heads of you know generals in the army. Mm. And you know, nameless, faceless people in the army. So, like the 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 um um the you know army call up was 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 botched basically. Um, the recruitment exercise that it did was was kind of botched, and they were calling up like men and like really young people, and there were all these videos that came out of you know them telling. Um, the recruits that you know they would have to fend for themselves and get their own blankets and stuff and like I'm, like we said earlier like there were protests in russia people were arrested and immediately sent to um the front lines like just uh, for me i signed this document follow us to so putin because of of the situation he has found himself in now uh, he has to see through um and yeah. you know it's it's a really bold for 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 lack of of anything putin has balls and it's like really kind of fascinating the way he's attempting to gaslight the world so effectively what's what he's doing what he has done now is to you know declare four regions that were i guess two years or three years ago part of ukraine up until yesterday part of ukraine declare them russian territory which is what he has done you know and then you know carried out these like sham referendums locally there to come out and say the people in those places want to be um part of russia yeah. declare those spaces russian territory say that ukraine has to immediately call for them to cease fire uh-huh. stop all military action 
Yeah. And they return to the negotiating table. Five hours before you you give a speech calling for Ukraine, you bomb some parts of you know the place just you know get warm and get ready. In your speech, you refer to your enemies as satanists and evil. You understand know, basically, and that like you know you're willing to do whatever it takes to defend um, you know Russian territory forever. The threat of nuclear. I think this, people are saying that like for the first time you know in a long time since the Cold War, um, people in like in Washington are having to like have conversations about like you know what would happen if um, you know Russia um, re- resorts to nuclear power. And I think that's kind of where I want to kind of. Take us to how do you think this is going to play out? Um, you know, because like 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 I try to, like I try to set out the the stakes are exactly what they are. Um, the U.S. P- part of the limits that the U.S. has set and the West has set in terms of supporting Ukraine is that they are denying Ukraine actual membership to NATO. So Ukraine has formally, you know, requested to join NATO now. Uh, before we just hint and a wink and a nod, they formally yeah. requested now. Um, I don't think I don't think the request has been granted. I think the U.S. has also refused to give Ukraine weapons that can reach inside Russia, like weapons that have the capacity to reach inside Russia. So for the most yes. part, Ukraine is fighting to defend its territory. Their, their defensive weapons are solid, um, but they don't have anything that can actually get into um, Russia. With the whole nuclear power thing, one angle I want you to consider also is the fact that everything we were led to believe about the Russian army has turned out to be a lie. Everything... Like, because like there are many people who are fanboys of the Russian army and who have all these ideas of a super masculine this thing, but it turns out like the equipment is like Nigerian, like like the Nigerian army. There's a shit ton of corruption in the Russian army. So money that was meant for, you know, um, refurbishments, replacement of weapons was spent on nonsense. And the Russian army is depleted. They had to, you know, draft people into the army again. So like you you were talking before about how like you know Russia probably has X Y Z thousand nuclear nuclear weapons and i was thinking like why should we believe that why should you believe that their weapons are as powerful as they say they are or that like yeah. you know they're as many as they say they are or that they work i think but then again yeah. all they need to do is have one the only thing is have one that works what, what, um, so like how do you think it's going to play out like you know <laughs> okay well, how do you well, think we should think about like the the threat of of nuclear um warfare which is getting like you know closer as we speak every day the conversation, uh, you know, now turns to nuclear capability, now turns to um, the capacity for war. And I think I make a number of distinctions. Um, there's a difference between a nuclear warhead and um, targeted nuclear um, weapons. So think of it as a kind of SCOD long-range missile, which is targeted. That is... Um, Think the damage to Chernobyl, similar kind of damage to a fairly, you know, wide area, but it's not comparable to a nuclear bomb, right? Um, it, it will do significant damage within localized area. Um, there will be obviously be radiation spread and the like. It's not, it's not nice to talk about these things, but the practicality is, nuclear is one of these things that the world has agreed. Um, a level of transparency on and that's why you'll see an Iran and the US at the table negotiating about okay what's your nuclear capabilities why because even if Iran was to accidentally like have a mess up on its on its um, its nuclear capabilities exactly so it's not just about offensive um, capabilities in many ways, when you, once you start developing nuclear, you're like a risk to yourself, essentially, mm. as a nation. So countries like the U.S. will rather have open dialogue with these countries to say, OK, how are you even doing your nuclear stuff? Like, are you following the safeguarding protocols? Let's share these with you, because once you decided you're making it, OK, and you have the uranium, you have the core, you have all the tech. There's very little the NATO can do apart from actually like invading to stop you from doing it. Um, so in case of Russia, and why you, you asked the question, are there capabilities as they say? I mean, obviously, they, you have to allow for exaggeration. Let's, let's give it about 20% exaggeration. But the reason I gave you that background to the way nuclear works and the development of nuclear technology in terms of armed warfare, I'm not talking about nuclear energy, I'm not talking about nuclear fission, which you know is perfectly, which happens around the world, is because 
whilst you can lie about how many soldiers you have, maybe no one really knows in terms of who's active, who's not active. Mm. Whilst you can lie about how many rifles you have, how many guns, how many drones, how many HMVs, because you can buy from different people, you can hide these things. Nuclear is one of those things that, like I said, is actually being watched. Like everybody no, has, yeah. everybody yeah. in the world knows virtually. Like you can say what you want about North Korea, there's the people are starving in some parts. They're <laughs> rationed. <laughs> these people don't even have the right. Yeah, using all their money to build exactly. But do you doubt the that they have ever. nuclear warheads? I mean, they, some of theirs are dots. I heard that some of them land, you know, and they land in their own country. Yeah, no, okay. So, 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 there is an international. Yeah, I'm just trying to make that trust. The if the the US would not, the US, if anything, would play down Russian capability. Wouldn't they? Mm-hmm. It's in their interest to do so. That's just logical. No, yes, yes. They strongly yes. do not. They, the US does not do that, and I think there's two reasons here you need to consider. If I allow twenty percent for exaggeration, sure. Russia is very... Yeah, that, that is what it comes to. Yeah. So Russia is, like you said, is, is essentially an autocracy, right? Um, in many ways, Russia is a very wealthy country. If you've been... Anybody who's kind of... I haven't been, but I've got family who've been there. I know, obviously, if you... There are parts of it that are very, very wealthy and very modern. People will be very surprised. So there is wealth there. There's oil, there's natural gas, there's a huge human capital. They, they colonize a lot of self-republics within themselves as a federation. You have to consider they've been funneling quite a bit towards keeping their nuclear arsenal instead, instead yeah. with the US, instead with NATO, right? So the reason I say that when UK government officials come out from the... Um, Ministry of Defense, our US counterparts do the same, the Canadians come out. Trust me, Russia is well ready. They're armed. So we can have a discussion as to how armed they are. You know, so I said I allow 20%, right? So you could say there's exaggeration. Of course, I'll go along with that. But trust me, I wouldn't I wouldn't um, downplay or I wouldn't necessarily say, oh, they don't have as much as we think they do. Yeah, and I, it's I nuclear. You. Yeah, in terms of nuclear, you can't really take the risk as well. So the the there's a difficult line that NATO is treading here where no, no, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll grant you that. I'll grant you that twenty percent like you're saying, twenty percent uh, margin of error is is too much because that still leaves, you know, eighty percent chance that they actually have something that can hurt you. Um all I'm saying is that like, you know, that there is Russia is a very dishonest um, uh, country. You know, Russian people are, are good people. There's the Russian arts is a key part of like modern arts. They are, um, I think, like you know, Dostoevsky, um, um, yeah, Russian poetry. Um, yeah, Russian music. poetry, like you know, Russian Russian vodka, um, Russian folk music and culture is. <laughs> vodka. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's a part of like the, the canon but you know they they've all they've always had like this tendency to um their their histories because they were such a great empire their history is also you know quite for lack of a better word interesting um and you know they're they're historically like a very um feudal feudal society it was feudal what i'm looking for um or like they, they had a monarch and they had a couple of monarchs um, really violent, really you know gruesome history, mystical in some the elements too. Yeah, the songs, yeah. The songs, yes. Um, they had their own type of like revolution, but they've also and you know when when they revolted, they went to an extreme with like you know communist um, uh, ideology. But there was also like there's always there's always this like fascist authoritarian elements to you know the culture and the history, and the in in. Part of what makes like this thing so interesting is that it's an ideological battle as well, because you know the, Ukraine and Russia share a common history, even though they're different places. And I think I said this like in one of our earlier episodes. Ukraine, its exist, its very existence puts a lie to you know many of the things that are happening in Russia, because like people in Russia, many people you know have left. Um, they they have this like sense of or Putin has a sense of grievance 
you know that that he feels personally about the world and the way things 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 are going for him but he has to be very careful also because you know he, um he's not going to stand for ukraine mm. um taking taking back like the places that they're taking back he has declared them russian territory and effectively declared not effectively actually declared that any attack on them is an attack on russia's sovereignty yeah. so he's giving himself the right to you know use measures that he hadn't used before to escalate uh, but he would lose the support of india and russia the people who are you know backing him and he would i guess like engender more hate towards himself if he actually resorted to nuclear weapons i think he the, the option for putin now which we have started to see is sabotage you know like with the like with the pipeline, so I actually believe it's Russia that's. I personally believe it's Russia that sabotaged it. I think it's in their best interest to sabotage it. Um, I think his 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 best option now is things like that, like you know, covert operations, things that things that would enable him to punch above his weight while he tries to wait out U.S. politics. So wait for Biden to, you know, leave and hope that Republicans come in that favor him. Waits for the far right movements in Europe to metastasize. So, like with, yeah. with Meloni in, in Italy, you know, um, Macron has to watch his back. There's a far right party, I think, that came in that came in in Sweden as well, or that is threatening to come in Hungary. Victor Orban, like you mentioned, so like he, he he's going to try and see it out. But I, I don't personally think he's going to use resort to nuclear weapons. I think if he does that, they will probably assassinate him internally in Russia. I think, you know, it's there's definitely an element of risk to put in, I think, because, yeah. you know, you look at the man is a very careful person. Um, I remember when he met Macron at the very start of the disputes with Ukraine, the later part, not obviously Crimea. Um, I'm talking about the flashpoint in, at the start of this year, which has currently now led to this ongoing war. You remember he was at the head of this massive oval table and on the other side was Macron because this was a man who still feared the effects of COVID. Um, we've heard discussions about his health. We don't know again how far true those are. Um, he looked fairly buoyant to me, um, believed, seemed to believe what he was saying. And like yeah. we set out the tactical reasons why he had to do what he had to do. He needed to press for an advantage he had his back against the wall and he's a man who doesn't like to lose. And he has some strategic advantages to himself. Like we've talked about the energy thing. Um, obviously, countries like Germany having to ration um, prices going up in UK, France, Spain. Um, and the UK isn't a massive reliant on Russian energy. The problem is it's a domino effect where if one major supplier in the market yep. essentially says you have to fund me in a war against your proxy or you don't buy my stuff. And then everyone is trying to buy from somebody else. And then it's simple economics, you know, the demand is still there, but supply, <laughs> supply sources have shrunk in number. Um, and then, like you said, you know, you look at it from the effect on the global South, for example, um, where grain is essential right because you're talking about countries where agriculturally they do produce but the volume to which they consume compared yeah. to what they produce is so much larger and they rely on you know so you were talking about countries in the east of africa and the horn of africa west africa you know they love their rice and whatever so and ukraine is one of the largest producers of, of that stuff and food in general, you know, it's, it's a bit of a basket um, due to its location in the world and precipitation and all those things. So I think in terms of putting what next, um, I can see a situation where the war rages on. It's, it continues as a proxy, like you say, and there's obviously no relenting on the Western side, quote unquote, in terms of they'll just continue to arm them the yeah. army they'll continue to provide them with these like you say defensive um capabilities i think 
I'm a student of history, so I always hark back to how did World War? There's a question that is always asked: How did World War One start? And I think it was when Archduke Franz Ferdinand was shot um, of the then Austrian-Hungarian <laughs> Empire. That kicked off the war. This is like some butterfly in, in the all forest causing an earthquake somewhere. <laughs> exactly. Um, all it takes is one misplaced missile to to go yeah. either side of um, the Kharkiv um, fault line, should we say. All it takes is one. And then it will be very difficult to avoid NATO intervention. And then Russia is in a position where it either has to change its leadership or it's um, all out war. You know, so I think what all parties need to guard against is the potential for any mistakes. Let's just say that um, the, 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 the trigger fingers need to stay, <laughs> need to stay calm um, because and I, NATO has to take a big, big chunk of, of fault here because this all started from Crimea. In Crimea, sorry, in, yeah. 20, in 20, what was it, 2014 or 2010? 2014, I think. And even then, 2010, when there was the whole Georgia uprising. Um, I don't know if anybody remembers that, but yeah, so. No, but what, the, the, challenge, the challenge is that it's, it's the question that they punted in those situations. It's the question that they punted in, in Georgia, the question they punted in Crimea that they're having to face now, and they're having yeah. to face a much harder question. This is the point that Gary Kasparov always makes, that every time the US resorts to some measly words of condemnation, some measly sanctions that only the poor average person in Russia feels, but it doesn't touch Putin or his cabal of elites, Putin only gets stronger. And next time, he's going to come and ask for more. Mm. It's, the, it's the bully theory also. If he lets a bully have what he wants the first time, yep. he's not going to just leave you alone. Next time he comes, he's going to come for something more, and the stakes are going to get higher. So from Georgia to Crimea, the stakes go higher. From Crimea to now, the stakes are high. Yeah, high, and you're getting higher and higher and higher. Speaking of, of high rising stakes, sticks, <laughs> yeah, speaking of, <laughs> of, of rising sticks, rising oh, and, sticks and, and cutting taxes, yeah, and, and cutting taxes and misplaced missiles. Mm. Our, our brother from from is your brother, bro? No, it's our brother now. Mm. Our brother from another mother. From our more coastal mother, quasi oh, quatting. Um, he was he just he recently became you know the chancellor of the exchequer. Indeed, I did. The, Last month. we love we love traditional titles. Love, yeah, you, you know, know everything. Uh, in the in United Kingdom, I mean, uh, you look at the UK. If you if you ever any Nigerian that wants to understand how did we fashion this weird blend of you know hero worship with <laughs> you know religious fanaticism mixed in with um, authoritative feudalistic tendencies in all facets of our public life. Look no further it's than wrong, the colonial masters. No, and and this this you know obviously Mr. Kwati is is a perfect example of what you know the founding colonizers had in mind. Basically, they had a reformed a reformed Negro, you know, brought from the bushes, put through. Um, the best of schools that they have to offer, mm, you know, gone through indeed. the process, and is now doing doing the work, basically, you know, of, See, of he, advancing the interests of Her Majesty's. Oh, sorry, his, his royal highnesses. His, uh, no, 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 no. The official term is His Majesty. His Majesty. Okay. Royal Highnesses reserved for princes of the realm and oh. of, and dukes. This uh, is His Majesty. It's his soul. Okay. So Majesty, Majesty, past Royal Highness. God passed all of them, but yeah. So <laughs> the the yeah. So Kwasi Kwarteng, and he's a prime example of why I refuse to call anyone who hasn't gotten um, medical training a doctor. He holds a PhD, right? 
um, in in some economic field. He's a former banker, by all accounts, or hedge fund adjacent. He worked in the city. He was one of these organizations. Might even have been. Uh, I don't want to say. Uh, I'll I'll look into the exact organization. I don't want to say a name. So he by all accounts he's economically savvy, but. For the listeners, I would ask you to go and read something called Britannia Unchanged. It's a book co-authored with Istros, the current prime minister. And it was written in around the push for Brexit. So this was probably in the 2010s. This was when there's a group, influential group within the Conservative Party called the ERG, our version of the Tea Party. It's called the European Research Group. And it's essentially right-wing MPs who concocted and have pushed since this agenda for leaving Europe, turning the UK into this low tax haven, kind of Hong Kong style, pushing for free, radical free market liberalization. Even Margaret Thatcher would be astounded by the the budget. Um, They push very, very radical economic ideas. They're all about trickle down economics, um, which Joe Biden hates. And they're all about the idea of if we liberalize this market, it's, it's, it's something Republicans would be proud of. And even some Republicans might think it's a step too far. That's how radical this idea is. It's the idea that you let the forces of change take over. The, the strongest survives. <laughs> and the fact that millions and tens of millions survive on a regulated economy, on a public service-based economy, is not even factored in. So to give you an idea of some of the changes in the budget, Kwasi Kwarteng, um, crucially, the, the, we have a tax system that is progressive in the United Kingdom. Those that don't earn up to 12,000 for this year, it gets moved every year, but 12,750, I believe, don't pay any tax. So if your annual income is less than 12,750, you don't pay tax. If you earn up to about... Uh, if you earn up to um, 50K in the UK, um, you don't, sorry, let me just, um, let me just check that point. Yeah, if you earn up to 50,000, um, you're what is considered um, a low tax, well, you, you pay 20%. Tax. In the lower tax bracket. Yeah, the lower. I don't know if that's the exact word in the use, but um, yeah, the, the, there's that. There's that distinction, and then those who earn above fifty um, pay forty percent tax, and they're known as the higher rate. So that's fifty thousand twenty-seven two hundred seventy pounds. You're a higher rate taxpayer, and then those that pay, those that earn a, above one hundred fifty thousand, are known as the you know upper limit guys um and it's called ta- tax brackets for all intents and purposes <clears throat> an income group basically that tells you how much you get taxed and exactly and th- th- those guys taxes. were paying 45 pence yeah um that's been cut now so that those in practical terms those that earn 150,000 are paying the same tax as those who earn 50,000 now the thing about tax is this and it, the, the idea goes if you cut down tax for these exceptionally already wealthy individuals who are in the top, it's not even 1%, top 0.25% in the UK, considering we've had more billionaires now than ever. Yeah, if you cut their taxes, they'll spend more. They'll spend, they'll spend more, they'll invest, they'll invest, invest, the arguments they'll yeah. invest in the economy, blah, blah, blah. That's, it's not true. This has been tried in the UK before. It's not, it doesn't work. It's been tried in other parts of the world. It doesn't work. And why is that? Because those who are rich stay rich by hoarding their wealth they don't get yeah. rich by being philanthropist forget some of the you know well-known people that we know in terms of wealth Those, you know most rich people who you don't know about who live in wealthy parts of town are you a new yorker those who live in soho those who live, those who live in beverly hills those who live in chelsea and kensington they don't stay wealthy by giving out their cash they stay wealthy by saving it, reinvesting, not for the public good, but for their private gain, which is their wants, to be honest. If you work hard for your money and you're able to make lots of money and you're able to, you know, find yourself earning 150K plus, great. 
However, the most society doesn't earn that money. Mm. Most people have to support families. Most people often have a need to live their life in a more modest fashion. And the idea that you're taking away money that is crucial for funding of public services, right? We're talking about the National Health Service. We're talking about um, uh, social services, elderly um, health and social care. We're talking about free school meals for education. We're talking about funding for higher education. We're talking about policing. We're talking about dropping numbers in police and the need to fight crime. So these are all things. The, the budget in many ways is crazy. Um, and the, there's the... been such a huge backlash, such a huge mm-hmm. backlash. And we saw what the markets did. The pound dropped like a stone. Um, and in that time, it's lost about 25 cents, like I said. I'm sure some people made stonking, some funds were just raking it in because you short, all they had to do was short the pound, you know, and they must have been raking it in. And you have to, you have to look at it and guess that this agenda, who is it serving, right? Because the majority, the voting majority, you know, and the polls as well, the conservatives are down 33 points yeah. to Labour. 33 points. These are numbers that haven't been seen since when. <laughs> this is the start of the last century you know it's it's but, it's but i think like, the thing is that like there there is still a bit of time between now and when the conservatives are up for a vote so i think the hope you know for this trust and uncle Kwasi is that between now and then things kind of i guess like fix up um but like you know like like you were saying the tax cuts were announced um large tax cuts sweeping tax cuts that you know the market i guess was not made aware of and the market reacted poorly the pound dropped significantly um the bank of england has tried to you know stabilize the market by you know buying up some bonds and you know in an attempt to just like i think reduce um interest rates but like that's not happening as quickly as possible. I think the problem, as you were alluding to, with this the ideology. So, like when you, when you were describing, like you know, quite quite, I think he's an idealist. He's an ideologue, yeah. Himself as well as like you know, this trust. They've yeah. been ideologues they're part, they're for a long time. Kind of these they actually kind of... believe. Yeah. So, like you, 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 you run into people when you argue with them, and they have some weird theory of the world that you know they are following their logic to its extreme end, and you're like, ah, oh, okay. But you never expect such a person to actually be in charge of. Of government and decision making, you know, yeah. um, but but that's what we have in this case. An ideologue who really believes the story. I think most economics or economists, sorry, understand that like you need a mix of a couple of things. So it is true that you know taxes need to be low enough to you know um, to stimulate innovation and to not like to much to, uh, to incentivize. Um, people to you know pursue profit taxes need to be low enough to make it worth it basically for you to carry on an enterprise for you to seek to um um make profits because like you know you pay more taxes in 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 a, in a larger scale and you generally employ you employ people and stuff like that um so on one hand it is true that taxes need to be low enough to incentivize um, innovation and incentivize like the profit motive but on the other hand Taxes need to be, taxes are what funds basically like government programs and government resources. So there needs to be a balance. Um, yep. I think one problem with this program is that the taxes are unfunded. So usually that, people that's try the and biggest, balance, yeah, and, and that people try and balance the budget like in, in one way or the other. But, the but budget, this time they are unfunded. This, that's the biggest point and you've, you've hit the nail on the head. That's the crucial issue when we talk about um fiscal policy versus monetary policy because i think a lot of people rightly so you only will think about what relates to you what are your concerns you're not really thinking the macro why should you you have your life to live you have your your needs and wants yeah no that's that's it was good that the way you were getting at it before you were talking about like the micro yeah because if, if you look at it the office of budget budgetary what's called the obr reporting office you know the regulators sorry they are an advisory body to the Bank of England. The Bank of England is independent. 
to mm. the government. The Bank of England sets a monetary policy. The Chancellor of the Exchequer, which is just a fancy way for saying finance minister, or the, the, the Minister for the Treasury, Secretary of State for Treasury, for American audience, sets fiscal policy. Fiscal policy is different from monetary policy. Monetary policy talks about um, flow of money, cash in hand, um, rates of interest, cash in circulation, essentially, yeah. and, and setting levels of liquidity for a, for a country. Think of, uh, think of it in that way. Fiscal policy is um, guiding principles as to how money is spent, right? Taxation. And, yeah, taxation. So, right, it's it's how we how we manage the funds essentially, and what projects are funded. In the, that's a, you know how we get money in, which is obviously tax, and then how that is spent and funded. So there is a divergence there. They're not the same thing, right? They should work in concert with each other. Now. The reason why this budget is being so, so attacked and being so derided is obviously its aims and ambitions are very skewed, seems to favor a very, very um, minute part of the population that doesn't need it um, in terms of the super wealthy. It seems to be taken away and will rely on spending cuts for the books to be balanced. Crucially, when Kwasi Kwarteng took office, the Office of um, Budgetary um, Regulation or Reporting, whatever they're called, the OBR, offered him the opportunity to have, because fiscal policy has to be legal. So if you think of the treasury as being part of the executive, every budget has to be signed off by the legislature. So this budget has not actually been signed off by the House of Commons. It's similar in the US. Any package, spending package has to be Mm. um, signed off by the Senate. So there's that political reality aside, it has to be, the budget has to be legal. And for it to be legal, you have to show you're working, right? Hmm. I'm planning to cut taxes, but I'm going to fund it by doing X, Y, Z, right? Kwasi Kwarteng announced that budget without having had any, the OBR was told to sit aside. We don't need your report now. Don't bother doing the report. The Conservative Party conferences this week. So some are alluding to the fact that he just wanted to announce these talks. You know, cutting taxes. You know, putting money back in people's pockets. Just wide sweeping, just for populist reasons. No, but uh, along the populist line, I think. No, no, I, 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 for populist reasons, but like you know, I think it's it's a little deeper than that because as you were saying earlier, Listros and Kwasikwating wrote a book about this stuff a long time ago. Yep. So they, they are true believers, um, to some extent. And there's also the backdrop of, you know, in in UK domestic politics, I think in the Brexit thing, it was kind of like an inside joke because, like, you know, a lot of the people who who were actually, like, in, in position of power um, voting in the houses, in the various houses that exist in, in the UK government system, um, most of them, even in the Conservative Party, were not really for it. But they just kind of went along with Boris Johnson and everything. And, you know, there's this feeling that um, people try to slow walk the implementation of Brexit. You know, a, a lot of the quote-unquote so-called policy experts. Yeah. And, and you know, people in their pointy hats and their economics degrees and the people in the OBR that you're talking about, all those people, you know, there's a feeling within the, like, among the ideologues that these people try to slow down the rollout of Brexit. And in, it's, it's how they say, like, you know, um, true socialism has never been tried anywhere. It's like a running gag that people make to insult socialists that when they argue, they always, like, make the point that, oh, socialism hasn't actually been tried or communism hasn't actually been tried. It's them saying, the, you, have, you guys haven't let us do our Brexit thing for real, for real. Because yeah. you have been slow yeah. working our, our if we, want, we wanted to do hard Brexit. You guys said if you do soft Brexit. Wanted to just, you know, go on with our tax cuts and everything, and you guys have been slowing us down. So we don't need your inputs, Mr. Experts. We don't need your inputs, Mr. Market Watchers, Mr. Market Analysts, whatever. Mm. I, Kwasi Kwateng, 
you know, with the genius of my of my genius, I'm going to do this thing without you. And the market reacted terribly. And I, it's kind of funny because, like, despite the fact that they're in the same party, for some reason, you know, Kwasi Kwateng is taking a lot of the heat by himself. Yeah, um, I mean, well, but this is the man that said, there's, you know, he didn't read in an interview. I remember watching an interview a while back. As is sometimes, unfortunately, common with those from minority backgrounds who ascend in class. And when I say class, it's different. Class is a UK-derived concept. It's, it, obviously, we see this in Nigeria, it's in the US, it's around the world, but I, it was born in the UK. It's the idea of, you know, you have royalty, you have landed gentry, you have wealthy individuals, then you have the working class, and you have the middle class, and then you have the underclass of society. It's the idea that social mobility here is, is, is measured in what school you go to. So you go to Eton. That's a plus. Um, if you go to Oxbridge, so Oxford or Cambridge, you're, you've proceeded beyond your station, as you would normally be. Um, you know, Kwasi Kwarteng was born in Waltham Forest to Ghanaian um, immigrants. His mother's a barrister, his father's an economist. Um, Kwasi Kwarteng went to Eton College, right? So this is the school for the upper class in the UK. Very, very educated person. He, he was uh, a King's Scholar, went to Trinity College, Cambridge, studying classics and history, achieving the first and won a medal. He's very highly intelligent. Um, he won the BBC Creature University Challenge, which is like a kind of, um, uh, it's a battle of wits amongst the top universities in the UK. Um, he was a member, he was a Kennedy Scholar for at Harvard University. He earned a PhD in economic history from the University of Cambridge. And um, he wrote for the Daily Telegraph and was a financial analyst at JP Morgan Chase. And uh, also was at the hedge fund Audi Asset Management. So this is someone who is very intelligent and has been welcomed, should we say, through his education, through his work, through his um, profile as an honorary member of the upper class however he has been reminded since the reaction that he's still black he's still black and still n-word the reaction one has you know there's been attempts with some parts of the british press to separate him from Liz Truss. yeah which is absolutely ridiculous because there's no way he would have come out saying those things to be fair to Liz Truss, she stood behind him um um, I mean, she's barely standing on her own. She gave I mean, she, yeah, she went she's, on a ridiculous but, like interview run. She's she uh, stood, yeah, yeah, she messed up on the radio, right? Um, but yeah, she's kind of stood behind him to an extent. Um, but it's very interesting to see that, and he's a black man. We're here. We're black men. We have had to support her. I don't disagree. I, I strongly disagree with Kwasi Kwarteng's politics and some of his ideas. But he came out in an interview and said, you know, there's no structural racism in the UK or institutional racism. And unfortunately, we've had a Labour MP come out and make comments about him not being, um, about, sorry, about him being superficially black. Mm-hmm. That in itself was, had racial undertones because the fact that Kwasi Kwarteng is well-spoken should not yeah. disqualify him from being black. What's... What does she mean by that? Does she mean that black people means, cannot be well spoken? Exactly, yeah, she means exactly what she means. She yeah. she said she spoke the um like they will say she spoke the the hidden part, you know, out loud. So, unfortunately for Quasi, I think he's been perhaps being protected from some of these realities that those without his social status and his class status have had to endure. Um, unfortunately, again, I saw another article where they used a picture of, an, of a black man in a suit <laughs> to illustrate Kwasi Kwarteng, who was clearly not Kwasi Kwarteng. And these are the kind of things that we've complained about for years when they would use pictures of Lukaku when talking about Stormzy, for example, mm. and other just people in, 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 in articles. So Kwasi Kwarteng is in for, he's, he's in for, he's in for a hard ride. Um, 
but he seems to have this very unshakable self-confidence and belief, which comes sometimes from like yes, said, being very intelligent, that's not in doubt, being someone who's always succeeded, um, being feeling like, okay, I've achieved, right? So I think in many ways, it will take some time for that to be broken down. <laughs> but ultimately, the harsh reality in the UK is all about competence. Um, at the end of the day, if people feel like they're not paying enough, they're having, sorry, they're paying too much, um, they're not being, you know, supported by the government, the financial policies are not favoring them, they're going to blame him. So, yeah, no, so it, it, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to play out politically, Jonathan. He, he, if, if he's not the kind of person, like, like you're saying, that waffles or that isn't like sure of, of himself, um, then, you know, he, he will be fine. He will write out this media storm. The, the, the way things like this work is that the effects will be felt 10, 15 years down the line when a place that used to have factories before doesn't anymore. And, you know, they're going through some demographic changes and having deaths of despair, et cetera, et cetera. It's, you know, it's Reagan's tax cuts and, you know, trickle-down economics that set the path for, like, you know, the economic situation of some parts of the United States today with things like NAFTA, it's capitalist decisions in service of like, you know, a free market, small G God, mm. basically that set all these things um, um, out like that. But, you know, we, we will see how things play out for um, Kwasi and, and Liz. Yeah, um, see if their theories um, If their theories are true. Are true. And theories come to pass. I think they're in for the long haul. They're batting down. Um, I saw an article from this trust earlier today saying, you know, at the Tory conference saying, you know, things have to change. I understand that the whip will be taken away from Conservative MPs. So basically, if the whip is taken away, you can't, um, you're effectively an independent, yeah. essentially. In the House, you're sat there, you can't um, without. So that budget will be passed in one way or another. Perhaps there'll be amendments to it. Let's wait and see what's going to happen um, to parts of it. But yeah, thank you very much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the podcasts. Let us know your thoughts. What, what do you think is going to happen in Russia? We'll continue to watch and we hope and we, we hope Vladimir. that, you know, things don't escalate for the sake of the whole world. Um, and obviously the impact on energy, on the cost of living for all the countries around the world as well. All right. Thanks, everyone.